I must eternal and everlasting Father, we are thankful this evening, thankful for the privilege that is ours to assemble, to study a portion of your word. We realize that the human mind is incapable of understanding anything that is spiritual apart from the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. So it is a request that the Holy Spirit will grant us the ability to hear precisely what you have for us this evening. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. We're still in Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 through 21. But I begin reading at verse 12. It reads, You stretch out your right hand, and the earth swallow them. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Eden will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall upon them. By the power of your own arm, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, O Lord, until the people you have brought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountains of their inheritance, the place, O Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, your hands establish. The Lord will reign forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her. With tambourines and dancing, Miriam sang to them, sing, to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider he has hauled into the sea. Now the second responsibility that you have as a believer regarding God's deliverance or goodness that we have been studying is to ensure that in your praise you acknowledge specific characteristics or characteristics of God relevant to his action for which you praise him, as well as acknowledge his uniqueness. Now this responsibility, as we have stated severally, implies that your praise of God for his goodness should at least focus on three elements found in the song of the passage that we're studying of Exodus 15. The first content or element of your praise should be the characteristic or characteristics of God that pertain to his specific goodness to you. The second is his action and the manner in which he carried it out if that is known to you. The third is the acknowledgement of his uniqueness which involves acknowledging that God remains unique and incomparable to all divine beings that exist in heaven or earth. In our last study, we indicated that the uniqueness of God that should be acknowledged 
in praising him which Moses was concerned is his omnipotence of course in addition to his devotion to his people consequently we stated that it is the power of God that is to be acknowledged as unique in praising him for his deliverance of his his people now as we noted in our last study God's omnipotence is evident in that sentence of verse 12 when it says the earth swallowed them now we indicated that this sentence means that the Egyptians had descended to Shuel or the place of the dead implying of course that the earth here is used here in the sense of the place where the dead go specifically at that time refers strictly to the section of Shuel where unbelievers are temporary in holding until God will finally send them into the lake of fire for all eternity. Now this aside, we are still concerned with God's uh, uniqueness that should be acknowledged in praising him as given in Moses' song that, that we are studying in Exodus chapter 15. Now so be that as he may, another thing that is given in the song of Moses that we are considering is the Lord's uniqueness in dealing with Israel. Now this uniqueness of dealing with Israel still centers around the character of God that should be our concern in praising him for his deliverance or his goodness that we receive. Now there are two aspects of God's character that we should focus on when we receive his uniqueness in dealing with us. A first aspect of God's character that we should focus when uh, praising him for his uniqueness in dealing with us is his love that is given in the form of his goodness shown to us although we are undeserving of such love. Now the first aspect, or this first aspect, is given then in the first clause of Exodus 15 verse 13. Look at what it says. In your unfailing love, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. Now the proposition in here, that begins the verse, is translated from a Hebrew proposition that here is subject to two possible interpretations. It could be used to describe the manner of God dealing with Israel, or it could be used to describe the reason for God's dealing with Israel. Now, both meanings make sense in the context, but it is probably the manner the Lord deals with Israel that was in Moses' mind, since he has been focusing on God's power in dealing with Israel. Now God's power is the manner then or the means of his deliverance of the Israelites from the hands of the Egyptians. Hence it is more likely that Moses was thinking of the manner of God's dealing with Israel since he has said much about how God dealt with the Egyptians as he demonstrated his power. 
So as we have implied it, we cannot of course discount that Moses was also thinking of the reason that God has been dealing with Israel since it is out of his goodness that he has been dealing with them and not because of anything that they deserve. When we remember that they complained against Moses for leading them out of Egypt to die in the desert. The very first time they saw the Egyptians coming, that's what they were complaining, whining against Moses. So anyway, we are sad that it is God's love in the form of his goodness shown to us, although we are undeserving of such love that is intended in the clause of Exodus 15 verse 13. Again it says, In your unfailing love you will lead the people you have redeemed. Now God's love is conveyed in that expression, unfailing love, that is translated from a Hebrew word that encompasses the concept of faithfulness, steadfast love, or generally that of kindness. When the Hebrew word is used of humans, it refers to attitudes and behaviors of humans towards one another, such as kindness in doing favor and the benefits people receive from others. So it is in this sense that a word was used of Jonathan to request David's favor toward his family, as recorded in 4 Samuel chapter 20, verse 15. For Samuel chapter 15 verse 20 For Samuel chapter 15 verse 20 I mean first sorry I have it backwards sorry. it's first Samuel chapter 20 verse 15 For Samuel, chapter 20, verse 15. It reads, I do not ever cut off your kindness from my family. Not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So here, the word as using in this passage carries also the sense of loyalty. Loyalty. Since Jonathan wants David to be loyal to him as he has been to him. Now the psalmist used the uh, Hebrew word in the sense of human kindness in Psalm 141 verse 5. Psalms 141 verse 5. And once you get to Psalm, hold it for the next three passages, I believe will be also in Psalms. Psalms 141, verse 5 reads, Let a righteous man strike me. It's a kindness. That's a Hebrew word. He, he said, It's a kindness. Let him rebuke me. 
it is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it. Yet my prayer is ever against the deeds of evildoers. Now when the word is used in connection with God, it describes his disposition and beneficent actions of loving kindness as he condescends to meet the need of his creatures. Thus the word may refer to God's mercy as in Psalms chapter 5 verse 7. Psalms chapter 5 verse 7 where our uh, Hebrew word said, okay, said is given the meaning mercy. Psalm chapter 5 verse 10 reads But I by your great mercy that's he said will come into your house in reverence will I bow down toward your holy temple. Now the Hebrew word can also refer to love as it is used in Psalms Psalm chapter 32 verse 10. Psalm 32 verse 10 and important it should be something that uh, you should remember this passage or try to at least make an attempt to remember it. It says many are the woes of the wicked but the loss of failing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. In other words, his unfailing love surrounds the believer, the one who trusts in him. Now this loving kindness of God is evident in his deliverance from troubles and oppressors. The psalmist uses it in the sense of reflecting this loving kindness of God in delivering him from troubles in Psalm 94 verse 18 Psalm 94 verse 18 it is when I said my foot is sleeping your love O Lord Supported me. Now some English versions use the word loving kindness or loyal love instead of the word love of the NIV. Now the truth is that our Hebrew word is used with the meaning loyal love, steadfast love, unfailing love, or unloving unfailing kindness or loving kindness. So regardless of which word is used in rendering into the English, our Hebrew word, there is a sense that when the word is used of God, it signals, it signals his goodness shown to the undeserving. So God's love is without doubt undeserved and does not depend upon us. 
Now this is conveyed by the fact that the Lord vowed not to remove his law from David or from his really his Davidic line despite the failures on the part of his descendants because of his covenant with David as recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 14. Second Samuel 7 verse 15 sorry, verse 15 Second Samuel chapter 7 verse 15 reads But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul whom I removed from before you. So the reality is that God will discipline us when we sin. But because we are His chosen ones, we can remain assured of His love for us. No wonder the Holy Spirit, through Apostle Paul, indicated that nothing will remove us from His love, as stated in Romans. Chapter 8, verse 35. Romans. Chapter 8, verse 35. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 reads, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. In other words, nothing will separate the believer from God's eternal love. So, you should derive comfort then knowing that no matter what you go through, God's love for you is steady. In effect, God's unfailing love should bring comfort to you as the psalmist implied in his petition to God in Psalm 119 verse 76. Psalm 119, verse 76. You can put your marker there. Uh, I go to one passage and I come right back to Psalms. Psalms 119, verse 76. It reads, May your unfailing love be my comfort according to your promise to your servant now love is an action oriented word as we have studied in the past thus Moses acknowledged this truth when he wrote in Exodus 15 verse 13 that we are studying when he said in your unfailing love you will lead the people you have redeemed. 
you will lead the people you have redeemed. Now God's love for Israel is here manifested in his action of leading them. Now the word lead is translated from a Hebrew word that may mean to guide as in the promise of God to Israel as his covenant people. The promise you can claim as a believer in Christ stated in Isaiah 58 verse 11. Isaiah Isaiah 58 verse 11 It is The Lord will guide you always He will satisfy your needs in a son Scotch land and will strengthen your friend. You will be like a well watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Strengthen your friend, strengthen your whole body. So, no matter what it is, you can claim that's what he promised you. Now, the word may mean to lead. As the psalmist used the word in his prayer for the Lord's leadership, especially because of his enemies, in Psalm chapter 5, verse 8. Psalms chapter 5, verse 8. It is, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make straight your way before me. Now in our passage of Exodus chapter 15 verse 13, the word means to lead, to lead. Especially since God is the subject of our word. Now God's leading is a reason to praise him as Abraham's servant did when the Lord led him to Rebekah as the wife of Isaac. This, the Lord led him when he prayed, lead me, guide me to where I'll find this woman. And the Lord did that. And so what did he do? He praised him according to Genesis chapter 24 verse 27. Genesis chapter 24 verse 27 It reads saying Praise be to the Lord the God of my master Abraham who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. So anyway, the leadership 
of the Lord that reflects his love toward Israel that Moses no doubt had in mind is that of directing the, the path of their travels after they left Egypt as we read in Exodus chapter 13 verse 17. Exodus chapter 13 verse 17 it is when Pharaoh let the people go God did not lead them on the road through Philistine country though that was shorter for God said if they face war they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Of course, one could argue that when Moses stated in Exodus 15 verse 13 that what he stated is that which is in the future because the NIV reads verse 13 of Exodus 15 it reads, in your unfailing love you will lead the people. In your unfailing love you will lead the people. Well, really, it all depends on the English version that you have. Now, the sentence you will lead of the NIV is really one way to translate the Hebrew. Because the Hebrew can also be translated, you laid. You laid. As you find a majority of our English versions, although the new Jewish version, the Tanaka, uses present tense, they say, you lead, you lead. Now it is true that God will still lead Israel after Moses sung, as they were just beginning their journey of faith. The journey of faith. But he was praising God for what has already taken place. So it is better to translate the Hebrew to reflect a past action, not a future one. In other words, the he, you laid is more appropriate in this context. In another context, it will be a little bit different. So it is not only the leading of the Israelites in the path of their travels that demonstrate or that God uh, demonstrated God's love or goodness to Israel but what preceded the leading which is their deliverance from slavery in Egypt that's a demonstration of his goodness now this deliverance of Israel from Egypt is acknowledged by Moses in the next sentence of what we are studying, Exodus 15, verse 13. Look at the next sentence. It says, The people you have redeemed. The people you have redeemed. And the word redeemed is translated from a Hebrew word that means to redeem with various nuances. To redeem may mean to buy back. To buy back. As one buys a property. Or a person that has been previously sold in slavery. Thus, 
It is in the sense of to buy back property that the word is used in Leviticus chapter 25 verse 25. Leviticus chapter 25 verse 25. Leviticus chapter 25 verse 25 reads If one of their countrymen became, uh, becomes poor and sells some of his property his nearest relative is to come and redeem what his countryman has sold. So here is to buy back. That is, that's the meaning. Now the word may mean to save or to rescue or even to deliver from harm and danger. So it is with the sense of to deliver that the word is used in Jacob's recounting of God's goodness to him as recorded in Genesis chapter 48 verse 16. Genesis 48 verse 16. Genesis forty-eight verse sixteen reads, "The angel, that's of course the angel of the Lord, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, prior to incarnation. The angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac." And may they increase greatly upon the earth. So it is with the meaning to rescue that a word is used in describing a function of the future king of Israel in Psalm 72, verse 14. Psalm 72, verse 14. Psalms 72 verse 14. It is, He will rescue them from oppression and violence. For precious is their blood in his sight. Now in our passage of Exodus chapter 15 verse 13, the Hebrew word means then to redeem in the sense of to save or to bring into safety. Hence, Moses praised God for deliverance of Israel from both slavery in Egypt and for providing them safety as they crossed the Red Sea. Now there is then a sense that Moses kept going back to Israel's deliverance since that is a primary reason for his praise of God. So what this means to you as a believer is that no matter what you praise God for, you must continue to acknowledge 
God's unique love for you in that you are saved with eternal life. You have been redeemed by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. So, really, no day should go by without you praising and thanking him for your eternal salvation. Every day, every day of your prayer, whatever you you should as a believer, keep thanking him. Keep going back because that's the foundation of everything. Without salvation, nothing else matters. So, now that you are saved, you keep going back. You keep going back daily, daily. Go back, thank him for it because Moses kept going back to this deliverance. And that's what you and I should do. So in any case, as soon as Moses acknowledged God's uniqueness in his love towards Israel as demonstrated in their deliverance, he went back to acknowledge that unique power of God or his omnipotence. Now this is the second aspect of God's uniqueness that Moses wants us to focus as we read in the last sentence of Exodus 15 verse 13. He says, in your strength you will guide them to your holy dwelling. So the first part that we focus his love. Now the second part goes back again to focus on God's goodness or uniqueness in terms of what he does for Israel. See, God's power though is reflected in that phrase, you are strength. You are strength. You see, the word strength is translated from a Hebrew word that may mean fortification. A stronghold, that is, a place or structure which is a safe place to reside against attacks. As it is used in Proverbs 21 verse 22. Proverbs 21 verse 22. It reads, a wise man attacks the city of the mighty and pulls down the stronghold in which they trust. Here, stronghold, that's really the same word translated strength is the Hebrew word Oz. Oz. Now the word may mean stubbornness, that is, unwillingness to change a behavior, that of showing pride, and self will, as it is used to describe the state of Israel, that will cause the Lord to punish them, as we read in Leviticus chapter 26, verse 19. Leviticus chapter 26, verse 19. It reads, You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power. That's the same Hebrew word, us. You display your power among the peoples. Now the word may mean strength. That is, the property of being physically or mentally strong. 
So it is a word associated with God several times in the Old Testament scripture. As for example, in Psalm 46, verse 1. Psalm 46, verse 1. Psalm 46, verse 1. It reads, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. So it is in the sense of strength though, that the word is used in our passage of Exodus 15 verse 13. So God's strength is a way to describe his power or his omnipotence that is uniquely a characteristic that belongs to him and to no other being. Now display, the display of God's power in bringing Israelites so far to where they were when Moses uttered his song of praise and of bringing them in the future to their final destination that is what is meant in the sentence of Exodus 15 verse 13 when he said or he reads you will guide them to your holy dwelling now the word guide is translated from a Hebrew word that means that may mean to transport to transport as it is used for carrying all the Judeans prisoners who were so weak that they were unable to walk in connection with war during the time of King Ahaz as we read in Second Chronicles chapter 28 verse 15. Second Chronicles Second Chronicles Chapter twenty eight verse fifteen. And say, hold on, Second Chronicles. It is the men designated by name took the prisoners, and from the plunder they clothed all who were naked. They provided them with clothes and sandals, food and drink, and healing balm. All those who were weak they put on donkeys. So they took them back to their fellow countrymen at Jericho the city of Palms, and returned to Samaria. See that sentence, they put on donkeys. It's literally from the Hebrew, they transported them with donkeys. They transported them with donkeys. Now the Hebrew word may mean to give rest, or to care, to take care of, as it is used of the Lord taking care of his covenant people in the time of King Hezekiah as we read still in Chronicles chapter 20, uh, 32 verse 22 
Second Chronicles. Chapter 32, verse 22. It reads, So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and from the hand of all others. He took care of them on every side. Now the word may mean to lead to a watering place, or a watering station and then to cause to rest there as it is used to describe the Lord as the psalmist shepherd in Psalm chapter 23 verse 2 Psalm 23 verse 2 Psalm 23 verse 2 Psalms 23 verse 2 reads, He makes me lie down in green pastures as he leads me beside quiet waters. So, here of course, the Lord leads to a place where he takes care of his own. Thus, the word is often used for leading or helping uh, along a person or an animal that is handicapped. Nonetheless, in our passage of Exodus 15 verse 13, the word is used with the meaning to lead or bring to a station or bring to a goal or to escort with care. To escort with care. Again, the English versions are divided in the way the Hebrew word is, uh, that means to guide is translated in Exodus 15 verse 13. Now some English versions translated it as future. They read that we read, you will guide, you will guide. As of course you find in the NIV. While others translate it as an action of the past. As you find in the New American Standard Bible that reads, you have guided. You have guided. Now the Hebrew allows either of the translations that we have in our English versions. Now the translation used really is to be guided by the phrase of Exodus 15 verse 13 when it says, To your dwelling, that phrase that we will get to shortly, that literally reads, to the abode of your holiness. To the abode of your holiness. Now that phrase should determine how we really translate it. Uh, should translate the word you have guided or you will guide. Now the adjective holy of the NIV is translated from a Hebrew word. That the standard Hebrew English lexicon of brown driver and brakes. lists the meaning Apartness, sacredness, holiness. Now the word is used of places set apart as sacred or set as sacred by God's presence. Thus the word may mean sanctuary, that is, a building dedicated 
in service of God. A place in which the Lord is normally present when ritual and moral purity are also practiced as it is used for the place where the priests were to carry out their ministry in Exodus chapter 39 verse 41. Exodus chapter 39 verse 41. It reads, And the woven garments worn for ministering in the sanctuary, both the sacred garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments for his sons were his sons when serving as priests. Now the meaning holiness is used with God in the command to worship him in Psalm 96 verse 9. Psalm 96 verse 9 that's why the word uh, the Hebrew word Kodesh is translated Holiness. Here it reads, Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Now in our passage of Exodus 15 verse 13, the word is used with the meaning holiness, that is, the quality of being set apart as opposed to common, often in ceremonial sense of course, not necessarily due to the exclusion of moral purity. So the word holiness is associated with the word dwelling that is translated from a Hebrew word that may mean grazing place or pasture or where a shepherd stays as the location David was before the Lord anointed him king as we read in Second Samuel chapter seven, verse eight. Second Samuel chapter seven, verse eight. Second Samuel chapter seven, verse eight. It reads Now then tell my servant David. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture. That's a Hebrew word. Naway. Naway. I took you from the pasture. And from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. Now the word may also mean settlement. Settlement. In the sense of a population center. As it is used in Isaiah chapter 27, verse 10. Isaiah chapter 27, verse 10. It reads The fortified city stands desolate. An abandoned 
settlement. That's a Hebrew one. Now, forsaken by the desert. There the calves graze. There they lie down. They strip east branches bare. So the word may mean then dwelling in the sense of a construction of various types as the word is used by the Lamentar to bemoan the physical destruction which the Lord inflicted on his people for their idolatry as the Lamentar laments in Lamentation chapter 2 verse 2. Lamentation chapter 2 verse 2 Lamentations chapter 2 verse 2 reads Without pity the Lord has swallowed up all the dwellings of Jacob in his wrath, he has torn down the strongholds of the daughters of Judah. He has brought her kingdom and his priests down to the ground in dishonor. So, here, the word is translated dwelling. In our passage of Exodus 15 verse 13, the word is used in the sense of either habitation or dwelling. So the question is what Moses had in mind in that phrase to your holy dwelling of Exodus 15 verse 13 or literally the Hebrew says to the abode of your holiness. So what does he mean? And the phrase refer, uh, refers to three possible locations. He could refer to Mount Sinai where the Lord met with Moses and informed him he will be he and his people will worship the Lord around that place. As in Exodus three verse twelve, I'm not going to read it, but it's that's why the Lord told him you're going to worship around Mount Sinai. Now another possible location implied in the phrase to your holy dwelling of the NIV is heaven. Heaven. As the place of God's dwelling, as indicated in Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 15. Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 15. Deuteronomy chapter 26 verse 15 reads, Look down from heaven, you are dwelling place. See, that's why we say, that's one of the meanings. Look down from heaven, you are dwelling place, and bless your people Israel, and the land you have given us, as you promised on, on earth to our forefathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. A third location, meant in that phrase of Exodus 15 verse 13 is Jerusalem. Jerusalem. The location of the tent of meeting that God resides 
as that is implied in David's statement in 2 Samuel chapter 15 verse 25. 2 Samuel chapter 15 verse 25. It reads, Then the king said to Zedok, uh, Take the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it and his dwelling place again. So his dwelling place is Jerusalem. Now each of these locations makes sense, but Moses probably really was thinking of the land of Canaan that God was about to bring Israel and not heaven, and that meaning or that interpretation is uh, when people think about heaven, but it is really a place of his sanctuary on this planet or on the mountain of God that uh, implies Jerusalem, because later on in this uh, Exodus 15 that we're looking at in verse 17, if you look at verse 17, Exodus 15, look at verse 17, it, it, it says, you will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, O Lord, you made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, your hands established. Therefore then, the garden of Israel should be seen as something that will take place in the future. From the location where Moses offered his song of praise. See, God's goal was to bring Israel to the promised land. After all, it is this land that the psalmist recognized as the holy land that God brought Israel in Psalm 78, verse 54. Psalm 78, verse 54. Psalm 78 verse 54 reads, Thus he brought them to the border of his holy land, to the hill country his right hand had taken. Hence, the translation of the NIV of Exodus 15 verse 13, You will guide them to your holy dwelling is to be preferred as conveying Moses' intention. So anyway, it is important that believers also thank God for the fact that he will eventually bring them to heaven, God's final goal for our redemption. It is for this reason that the Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul conveyed to us that we are citizens of heaven in Philippians Chapter 3, verse 20. Philippians. Chapter 3, verse 20. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 reads, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we are eagerly await, we eagerly wait, await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, 
that is good for all of us. Furthermore, the apostle expressed his own confidence in the Lord bringing him and so all believers safely into heaven as we read in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 18. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 18. Second Timothy chapter 4 verse 18 reads, The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So in any event, when you praise God for his deliverance, or his goodness. You should acknowledge the uniqueness of his love towards you. You should also acknowledge his power that guarantees that you will arrive in heaven safely. So, when you praise him, again, it is necessary really that every day that you should praise and thank God, your mind should go back on your salvation. For that Again, it's the foundation of every other thing. So as you do that, continue to think about that love that he promised is going to be something that he never withdraws from you, the believer. So this is what Moses was praising God for, and you as a believer should do the same, especially knowing that God is going to bring you safely into his goal for you, which is heaven, where our citizenship is registered at this point. So that is a challenge that you must carry out continuously, praising and honoring the Lord, thanking Him for all His goodness towards you. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of Your Word. We pray that God, the Holy Spirit, will continue to challenge us to remember and see what a good God You have been to us, Your love, Your protection and that we continue to see and recognize the great thing you have done for us to guarantee that we will be with you in heaven. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen.